the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here's what Dr. Barnhouse, a great Bible teacher, said about it. He said the tower was a ziggurat on top of which was a zodiac by which the priests hoped to get knowledge from the stars. It is an open, defiant turning to Satan and the beginning of devil worship. This is why the Bible everywhere pronounces a curse on those who consult the sun, the moon, and the stars of heaven. Astronomy is the scientific study of the heavenly bodies, matter and outer space as pertaining to their dimensions, motion, composition, and energy found within our galaxy. Astrology is an ancient practice that assumes that the position of the stars and planets has a direct influence upon people and events, according to Josh McDowell. The Tower of Babel was a shrine to the gods of the heavens who were in opposition to the one true God, Jehovah. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, Senior Pastor Teacher at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His verse-by-verse studies through the Bible presents fresh insight and challenge to all who listen in. My name is Jerry Pruden, and I am glad you were able to join us today. So without further delay, here is Pastor Steve with thoughts out of Genesis 11. Well, I wonder if you have ever struggled to learn a new language, a foreign language, or even getting a handle on the one that we have, English. That's difficult enough. Well, if you have trouble with languages, you, uh, you should understand that you're not alone. Most people have struggles with learning a new language. In fact, uh, various nations express their struggles with other languages by using certain pet phrases. For example, um, Americans say concerning language struggles that it's Greek to me. I remember saying that the first day of Greek class, and um, nobody laughed. But I thought it was funny. It was Greek to me. Uh, but did you know that Russians actually say that's Chinese to me? That's right. And the French have an expression, that's Hebrew to me. I don't know if the Hebrews say that's French to me, but the French say that's Hebrew to me, and the Germans say that's Spanish to me. Well, why do we have so much trouble with language? In fact, a more basic question is, why are there so many languages in the world? Do you realize that according to Wycliffe Bible translators, there are over 6,700 known languages? That is amazing. Why not just one language? One language that we can all understand and communicate with each other. Well, the answer, as you probably know, is found in Genesis chapter 11. So I'd like you to turn there to Genesis 11. We have been studying uh, the letter, the book of Moses to the Jewish people, to the children of Israel, and we call it Genesis. The first nine verses of Genesis 11 tell us the familiar story of the Tower of Babel and how God confused the one language that mankind spoke, and he broke it up into many different languages so they couldn't understand each other. And uh, they abandoned the project of the Tower of Babel. Now, 
We're not going to take the time to read the, the uh, nine verses right now. We'll deal with that when we go into the text. But I want you to understand something, that the primary purpose and message of the Tower of Babel, that story, is not to tell us about uh, the various languages. That's, that's not really the purpose of this passage. Uh, Moses is not concerned that you and I or the children of Israel really understand where the various languages came from. What he is concerned about is to explain how the nations of the world, the Gentile nations of the world, came to be scattered all over the face of the earth. That's really the message. And I want you to notice verse 1 of Genesis 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It's very interesting that it says that because at the beginning of this chapter, the whole world is using one language, one vocabulary, and everybody's able to communicate with one another. But we've studied chapter 10. Remember that? And in chapter 10... When we study that, we saw the chapter before this, the earth is already divided amongst peoples and uh, different languages. For example, chapter 10, verse 5, it says, from these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. And it says it a couple of other times, uh, verse 20 and verse 31, the, the same thing, that the nations were divided and they had their own languages. So how could this be? How could this be? In chapter 10, they're already speaking different languages and have different nations. But in chapter 11, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Well, the explanation is this. Chapter 11 was written to explain how the arrangement of nations came about in chapter 10. In other words, it's not chronological. At this point, it's, it's thematic. It's not chronological. Most of Genesis is chronological, but not here. In other words, the events of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 occurred before the nations settled into their territories in chapter 10. That's the explanation. Somebody came up to me after the service uh, last week and asked me about that, and I said, just hang on for one more week, because that is the explanation. But why was it so important for Moses to write about the scattering of the nations? Why is that so critical? I told you before, the purpose is not primarily to tell us where the languages came from, although that's interesting, but why the nations being scattered? Why did Israel need to understand that? Well, here's the key to the whole, the whole story. Moses is sending a very powerful message to the newly formed nation of Israel, making sure they understand that their priority must be to obey the will of God, to submit humbly to the will of God. Otherwise, they will be scattered just like the Gentile nations were scattered. And that is the message of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is a great covenant God made with his people that if you obey me, I will bless you. And, and the blessings are uh, material blessings to the uh, ancient people, uh, prosperity, agricultural blessings. But if you disobey me, I will discipline you, I will curse you, and ultimately I will scatter you amongst the nations. And ultimately that is what happened to Israel. So chapter 11 reveals how God treats nations that disobey him. He scatters them. And it's a great warning to the nation of Israel. On a more personal level, there is a message here for us. It is that God resists the proud, God resists rebellion. You may defy God, but you will not win. God will ultimately have his way in your life. And God wants us as his people to humbly obey him 
And uh, that is really a very valid application of this passage of Scripture. I think also there are some important insights that God gives us in this passage of Scripture. For example, uh, with Babylon, we understand, and we will understand, if you don't, by now you will after this morning's message, where false religion, organized false religion, had its start. It was right here at the Tower of Babel. Also, uh, there are questions that we need answered, like what was the Tower of Babel? What, what's so important about the Tower of Babel? What exactly was it? What is the nature of uh, society? What is, what is really humanism and exalting self? And why did God object to their, to their unity? I thought we're supposed to be unified. Why did God object to their unity? And they were unified and God said, no, it's wrong. So all these things will be covered as we go through this. And the passage is easily divided into two parts. You have an outline before you. And the first part is mankind's rebellion, and then secondly is God's judgment on this rebellion. Let's begin by looking at mankind's rebellion. Verse 1 says, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. This verse tells us that in the years following the flood, the years following the flood, everyone on the earth spoke the same language and uh, have the same vocabulary. In fact, literally, in the Hebrew, it's one lip and one kind of words. They had one lip and one kind of words. That is to say, the entire race was, was united by one common language. Now, what that original language was, um, I don't know. Nobody knows. There are guesses. Uh, maybe it was Hebrew, they say. Maybe uh, some Semitic tongue, but nobody, nobody really knows. But what we do know is that communication was relatively easy. With everybody speaking the language, they could communicate, and uh, it encouraged them to stay together. Let me just tell you this about language. Language either unites people or it separates people. And here, because they had one language, they were united. And because of that, they were encouraged to stay together. And that's exactly what, uh, what they did, verse 2. And it came about, as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. As the human family traveled eastward from uh, Mount Ararat, where they, remember, that's where the ark uh, landed or stayed, uh, they came to a plain. They moved eastward, really from what we would call modern Turkey, and uh, they came to a land known in that day and age as Shinar. You and I know it biblically as Babylon. We know it in modern terminology as the nation of Iraq. It is in that general area of Iraq. Now, this was a very fertile area. It was fertile because it was right by two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, so that the people settled there. They settled there. They said, this is good land. This is a good area. We have plenty of water. We like it here. But you know what? That's a real problem. That is a serious, serious problem, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Look at chapter 9, verse 1, right after the flood, and the ark is settled, and life is going to begin anew. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and watch this, and fill the earth. Get out of here. Fill the earth, have plenty of children, and scatter all over the earth. I want you to fill the earth. They were to fill the earth by scattering over it, not settling together. Not settling together. But they liked this area, and they weren't about to leave it. And uh, in rebellion towards God, they decided to build. Verse 3 says, And they said to one another, Come, 
let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. Being a fertile area, they lacked uh, stones, they lacked timber. So with the materials they did have, they built. And uh, it, it was because of this um, initial building success that they decided to do something that would prevent them from, in their minds, ever being scattered over the face of the earth. Verse 4, and they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, if it wasn't obvious to you before that rebellion is in their hearts and in their attitudes and in their actions, it ought to be now. This is the evidence of their rebellion. And you can see their rebellion in, in two specific ways. First of all, their rebellion started with an attitude, their motivation of pride, pride. They decided to build a city and a tower as a memorial to their greatness. They said, and we look at the end of the verse where it says, let us make a name for ourselves. That's their motivation. Let's make a name. Let's build so that we make a name for ourselves. In other words, the motive behind this city was to gain a reputation for themselves, to bring glory to themselves so that everyone would be impressed with their own accomplishments. They wouldn't see the need to obey God. It was defiance towards him. Do you see what was behind this city? The better mankind looked, the easier it was to refuse the, the clear and specific command of God to scatter over the earth. Now, what our, our ancient ancestors were doing was really dethroning God by exalting themselves. They wanted a name for themselves. They were being independent towards God, which is the essence of sin. That's the essence of sin. It's not the outward things that you do, though certainly the outward things are wrong if they violate God's word. But the root of, of sin is an independent attitude towards God that magnifies self and wants self to look good. In other words, the more impressed they were with themselves, the less impressed they were with God and his word. The greater you think of yourself, the less you think of God. That, that's what's going on here. I, I think you should understand that the issues here were not so much that these people didn't want to travel. You know, they're just not a traveling people or they like city life as opposed to country living. That, that's, that's really not the issue here. They didn't want God telling them what to do. They refused. They liked this area. They liked Shinar. They liked the climate. They liked the atmosphere. They wanted to stay there. Even though God said, fill the earth. It was a revolt against God's authority. And I'll tell you what, it was led by a man that I told you we'd, we'd go back to chapter 10 and pick up some names here. We're going to pick up one in particular, a man whose name is Nimrod. Will you look at chapter 10, verse 8? Remember, the Tower of Babel, chapter 11, has really happened before chapter 10. And so it just, it just tells us a little bit about these, uh, these people. In chapter 10, notice verse 8. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod, and he became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. And it goes on to say a few other places that he built. You know what Nimrod's name means? It means to revolt. I don't know if he was given this name, but he certainly acquired it by his rebellious spirit, if he wasn't born with this name. But Nimrod was the founder of the world's first empire. First empire. And he was a wicked man. Three times it says he was a mighty man or he was mighty. 
Three times he's called mighty. Nimrod was a mighty tyrant. In fact, there are scholars who believe that he was not a hunter of animals when, when Moses says that he was a great hunter. Most scholars believe that he was a hunter of men. He was a warrior who ruthlessly hunted men and, and incorporated men and, and uh, peoples into his kingdom. Nimrod, a mighty, mighty, wicked man. And it is Nimrod who, in chapter 11, is leading the way for man to defy God by making a name for themselves. And Nimrod's aim was to keep mankind altogether under his leadership, lest they be scattered abroad and obey God. So that's what's, that's what's going on here. Folks, this is, as I said before, the real root of, of sin. It is pride that exalts man to the point where God is dethroned. And this is precisely what the New Testament talks about in Romans chapter 1. Let, let's turn there to Romans chapter 1. It is precisely what Paul is getting at as he puts the world on trial in Romans chapter 1 to teach that, uh, that all men, all mankind is wicked and rebellious be before God. That he, he's saying that all men refuse the light. Jewish people refuse the light of the law. Gentile people refuse the light of conscience. Pagan man refused the light of creation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, how did ancient man suppress the truth and unrighteousness? And people often say things like this. They say, oh, wait a minute. How could God send to hell anybody who's never heard of Jesus Christ? Well, that's not the issue at all. That's not the issue at all. The issue is whatever light God gives to people, they reject it. And, and if they did not, and they certainly did not respond to the little light that God gave in the ancient world, why do you think that if they had the full light of the revelation of, of God and the person of Jesus Christ, they would accept him? The issue is how do they respond to the light? And here Paul is saying that pagan man, ancient man, didn't respond to the light. Notice verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within him, and it really means evidence around them, for God has made it known to them. He's talking about creation here. Nature. Verse 20. For the creation of the world, for since rather the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That is, ancient man knew about God by the nat nature around him. He didn't know all about God, but he knew enough that if he responded to the light that God gave him, God would give him more light. But what did he do? He didn't do that. Because verse 21 says, for even though they knew God, and it means that they knew about God. It doesn't mean they had a relationship with him. It's not, it doesn't mean like, like we say, I know God in a personal way. It means even though they knew about God, watch this, they did not honor him as God. Nimrod's followers knew about God, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. You know, it says they did not honor him. Literally, it's they did not give him glory. They knew about God. They just refused to glorify him and they weren't thankful to God. See, when man began to, to not glorify God by humble submission to his word, that's when his heart became darkened and he became a foolish philosopher rather than a true worshiper. Darkened with foolish speculations. Now, does this apply to us? Sure. The principle says, if you exalt yourself, 
If your goals are to build a name for yourself, then you are dethroning God. And eventually, it will lead to absolute foolishness in your thinking. Absolute foolishness. You'll think you're wise. You'll think you're sophisticated. You'll think you're an intellectual, that you're above other people. But according to God's word, you are a foolish idolater. And maybe your idolatry will not be four-footed animals and trees and things like that, but you will worship yourself. And you'll have idols of your own heart and making, money and career and fame, materialism, but certainly self. Listen, this is humanism today. This is humanism. Man and his accomplishments are everything. Look at me. Look what I've done. That's why I say the root of sin is independence from God. Man doesn't want God's authority over him, and he refuses it. He wants the glory. He wants the attention. And God said, my glory I'll not share with anyone else. Back in ancient times, their sin of pride did lead to the worship of a false religion. False religion. And that's the second evidence of of their rebellion. It was pride because they wanted to make a name for themselves. But secondly, false religion. Notice as we go back to Genesis 11, verse 4. Come, let us build for ourselves a city, and watch this, a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now, most of us, if not all of us, have heard about the Tower of Babel, but what exactly was it? Well, let me explain what it wasn't. There are a lot of people who think that this was an attempt to actually touch heaven, actually touch heaven, uh, or or what we would call outer space. You know what? That's foolish. That's silly. If you're going to try to reach a tower to touch outer space, you you build it on a mountain. You don't build it on a valley. You don't build it on a plane. That's foolish, and and they wouldn't do that. That wasn't the point. In fact, the term will reach is not in the original uh, Hebrew. It's not in there. It, it, it should be a tower whose top is in heaven. In other words, it's dedicated to the heavens as a place of worship, as a place of worship. The Tower of Babel was a tower, watch this, that had a zodiac on the top of it. Now, why do we know that? Because archaeologists have uncovered towers like this. They're called ziggurats ziggurats, and a a, a ziggurat, and there are many of them in that area, many of them in in that part of the world, is a multi-story temple tower dedicated to the worship of heavenly bodies, stars, and and the moon, and the planets. It's, It's astrology is what it is. Here's what Dr. Barnhouse, Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Bible teacher, said about it. He said, the tower was a ziggurat on top of which was a zodiac by which the priest hoped to get knowledge from the stars. It is an open, defiant turning to Satan and the beginning of devil worship. This is why the Bible everywhere pronounces a curse on those who consult the sun, the moon, and the stars of heaven. Folks, this is where astrology began. This is where it was developed. It was later passed on to the Egyptians and uh, the pyramids and especially the Sphinx that we, uh, we love to see, it, it really has its roots in this. The Babylonians divided the sky into sections, and they gave meanings to each section based on the stars found there in that section. An individual's destiny, they felt, was determined by whatever section or sign he was born under, and thus you have astrology. Which, which goes on today. You can read it in almost any newspaper, in fact, just about any uh, major newspaper across the, the country and the world. 
This tower was an open defiance of God's system of worship. God had already made it clear the way to approach him, right? It was through a blood sacrifice. Was that not the message to Adam and Eve after they sinned? Was it not what Abel did and was killed for? Was it not what what Noah did when he sacrificed animals? Was it not what we will shortly read about Abraham, the Hebrew, who will worship God by a blood sacrifice? But not Nimrod and his followers. They refuse that. Instead, they're worshiping the stars and the planets and, and the moon and all that stuff. It was a rejection of the Creator for the worship of creation, which is precisely what Romans 1 is talking about. This is where organized false religion got its start. Do you understand that? This is where organized false religion got its start. Thank you, Pastor Steve. You hit the nail on the head. Another beginning found in the book of Genesis, false religions. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Please listen next time to hear the conclusion of this study, God's judgment on this rebellion. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. Celebrating 20 years of teaching. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.